You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lord. Everybody and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 53, Horror of Fang Rock, Story Review. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Gant. I think I'd be a great header. Rather than looking the creature out, I think I'd lucky it in. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait! Am I the creature? Hmm. Am I the creature? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you never can tell about those lycanthropes, right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome back, everybody. It's October, and yes, as what we did last year, we had a, an actual Halloween episode that we released a little, you know, like the week before Halloween. This year, we're doing a little bit of the creepy episode feel for the month. Uh, last episode, we did our first ever Big Finish audio with a story that was a bit creepy to begin with, so that fit. And then, of course, we decided, since we had that survey going, and we wanted people to have one more week, we were going to do another sort of creepy episode for the month of October before we started our next villain story review. And uh, we will have the results of that survey at the end of the show. So stick around for that. Um, and no skipping. No skipping. No skipping. No skipping. Because we've got some fun stuff to talk about. No skipping. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, before we get into Horror of Fang Rock, we had some news. Yes. Just a little bit of news. Missy's back. Yes. <laughs> Missy's back. <laughs> back again. Sorry. I'm going to not do the rest of that and save you all the pain. No. We we don't know any of the details. No. We just know that Michelle Gomez has confirmed that she is about to go back into uh, filming for the show. Yes. And that's about the extent of it. Right. <laughs> right. 
As of the time of this recording, <laughs> I believe I saw that today. That's how recent this news yes. tidbit is. It's not much. It almost doesn't qualify as news because it's such a small tidbit. But she's back. Back again. Stop it, Jason. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what you like uh, some day? <laughs> not from you. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I, I I had to do it one more time, right? <laughs> I know, I know. That's gonna be that's gonna be our go-to Dalek line now. You know, would you like something? <laughs> we had one other oh. item of news though that is a bit more newsworthy, um, and it's actually really cool. Fathom Events is doing it again. Uh, these this is the people who here in the United States set up all the Doctor Who theatrical releases. So when we had the 50th anniversary special, the Christmas special, and the season 8 premiere for Doctor Who in the theaters, Fathom Events was the people who set that up. Now, this November, Monday, November 14th, here in the United States, Fathom Events has a you know one-time show presentation, I believe 7 p.m. local time, of... Power of the Daleks. Yes. So the animated uh, <laughs> story that is getting broadcast in the UK, I believe it's November 11th is the date on TV. November 14th, it will be playing in the theaters for a one-time special event. The, uh, the cool thing is that it's actually coming before the television release in America. Uh, so, you know, if you see it in the theaters, you get to see it early. Exactly. Which makes it even cooler, you know. Yes. Um, we have a posting uh, for that news on our Facebook page, and there is a link in that posting that takes you straight to the page where you can buy tickets. Yes. So if you're interested in that, you can go to our Facebook page and click on that link, and it will take you straight to the Fathom Events page directly to the spot where you can buy your ticket. Yeah. Um, and just to give people an idea, I looked up the ticket prices for the theater closest to me um, and what it's got here. I've got $15 for adults, $13 for children, and $14 senior tickets. So um, it's going to be a little bit more expensive than your standard ticket, but it is a two and a half hour uh, runtime on this thing. Yeah. And I believe... Um, in addition to all six parts of the story, there's going to be some bonus content, including interviews with members of the original cast uh, that will be airing along with this. So, uh, according to the description on the Fathom Events website. So, this is really cool, because I believe this is the first time any classic Doctor Who has been aired uh, theatrically in the United States. It shows, uh, on the Fathom Events page, it also shows uh, an image for the poster, which it looks really cool. Yes. Yeah. It's all done in black and white with, like, red lettering at the bottom and stuff. It really, it's it's nice. It gives you an idea of exactly what it's going to look like, too. Mm -hmm. And the animation looks glorious! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The ticket prices at my theater uh, are $14 a piece, so... I would say, based on that, you could probably look at paying between fourteen, sixteen dollars, something like that, uh, for tickets. Yeah, so look to pay a little bit extra uh, since this is a special event uh, than a normal uh, movie ticket price. Right. 
Um, unfortunately, at this point, I have no idea if I'll be able to go uh, due to my schedule. Um, and I've already got a lot of dates requested off in that time period, so I really shouldn't be asking for another one. <laughs> well, you can always call in sick, yeah. right? <laughs> my conscience would kill me. Um, oh, I can send you some of my crunk that I've got in my throat. <laughs> I'm good, thanks. I don't need that. Uh, <laughs> uh, in case you guys couldn't tell, I'm a little bit raspy today. So, yeah, there's that. No worries. <laughs> it just fits the spooky element of this episode better. Yes. Uh, so, <laughs> anything else on the Power of the Daleks in the theaters before we move on to our story review, Paul? Other than the fact that I really want somebody to buy me some tickets? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yes. <laughs> that would be lovely if someone would buy me tickets. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I, I will stop. I will stop doing that. Um, <laughs> let's go ahead and jump into Horror of Fang Rock. Yeah. Paul. I forget. Did we, did we talk briefly about Leela in our last episode? Mm, very briefly. Okay. Okay. So let's let's address Leela a little bit more in depth. Just a, a little bit. Uh, so we already talked about her somewhat last episode. Let's talk about her a little bit here uh, now that we've actually talking about an episode where we're seeing her uh, rather than just hearing her. Right. Uh, again, thoughts on, on the character. I really enjoyed her intimidation factor especially at one point that we'll probably talk about here shortly where she just out and out threatens someone's life if they don't listen <laughs> to what the doctor says <laughs> yes oh i love i love leela for moments like that <laughs> Um, and, the, and she has no patience <laughs> for screaming, weepy women. Right? And, and the thing about it is she plays it as straight as you can possibly play it. Oh, I know. And it comes off as humorous because it's done in such a serious manner. Right. <laughs> everything is so... Everything with Leela is so practical and matter-of-fact. And, of course, remember, she is from a, a more primitive culture. So, uh, you know, the doctor lovingly refers to her as savage from time to time. Remember, we compared her dogmatic nature to uh, to Strax, remember? Yes. <laughs> she and Strax would get along very well. I know. <laughs> Man, I'm just trying to imagine Leela and Strax in my head right now. And okay, I should come back to Earth now. <laughs> uh, that, that should be a book. But... I know, right? <laughs> she is she is the doctor's muscle in this episode. I know, and that's um, so cool. <laughs> it really is. And we'll, we'll talk about this more in detail later, I'm sure, but there's a, a moment where the there's a a secretary, a lady who's a secretary, and she's just screaming and crying about everything in this episode. And something oh, happens, dear. and she screams again, and in order to <laughs> shut her up, Leela just slaps her across the face. It's like <laughs> Stop it. She rolls her eyes and like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this woman. And then slaps her. 
<laughs> it was funny. Uh, I love I love Leela. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Like I said before, though, the, the probably the worst thing that could have happened for her, though, is the fact that she fell in between Sarah Jane Smith and Romana. Yes. So she she ended up getting the treatment that Martha got. You know, uh, mm-hmm. she she's a great companion, but she doesn't get the the uh, attention that she deserves a lot of times. Right. Sometimes she gets a little lost in the shuffle simply because of her placement in the, the companion lineup there. Right. Spoilers. So The Horror of Fang Rock was written by Terrence Dix, directed by Patty Russell, and was originally aired from September 3rd to September 24th, 1977. Woohoo! I was three. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I wasn't born. <laughs> uh, before we get into details, what's your overall thoughts on Horror of Fang Rock? I liked it better the second time around. <laughs> Which, that's not... That's not a negative for me. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it the first time, but the second time around, I could appreciate it more uh, because I could sit back and and kind of take in all the little nuances and things that I didn't notice the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's a very good, very solid story. It's it's actually it's actually quite good. Um, I'm a fan of the story. It, and we'll get into depth this a little more later, but the only detraction that I really have against this episode is that Rutan in the last episode. <laughs> well, we said before that this uh, is this could benefit from a special edition. It could. It definitely could. It, it's just one of those things where, I mean, most of the time I'm able to, you know, really just look past a lot of these special effects. But I'll get and I'll talk about my specific reasons later, but. That there's a sequence in the final episode of this story that the Rutan just does not work for me very well, and it takes me out just a bit. But that being said, overall, uh, it's a very, very good, very uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say dark, but it is dark uh, story. Very gothic. Yeah, it's gothic. Gothic is a good word for which it, which I like. Shall we shall we get into the plot here? Sure. All right. Punch it, Chewie. <laughs> <laughs> and there's our Star Wars reference. <laughs> uh, the Doctor plans on showing Leela Brighton in England. And, of course, the TARDIS does not land in Brighton. It lands on Fangrock, which is a desolate, cold, ugly, little island thing, where the only <laughs> thing really on it is a lighthouse. And the lighthouse seems to be having issues. Oh, and did I mention, there's fog. Yeah. Lots and lots of very thick, thick fog. And it's unnaturally cold. It is. It is. And we come to find out that this lighthouse is having problems. Before the Doctor and Leela show up 
one of the characters, Vince, who is the young man at the lighthouse, uh, sees a shooting star land in the ocean. A fireball is what he calls it. And um, it, it didn't seem natural to him. And he is there on the lighthouse with Reuben, who's an old hand at this sort of thing. He's been tending lighthouses for decades and still doesn't trust the uh, new fangled electricity that's now running the lighthouse and prefers oil because nothing ever goes wrong with oil. Uh, <laughs> Except for the fact that you can set yourself on fire. <laughs> uh, you know, there's that. <laughs> and then there's Ben, who is the you know, proponent of electricity and the, the engineer who keeps the generators running. Ben quickly dismisses uh, Vince's notion that the fireball was unnatural. Ruben takes it a little bit more seriously, but says it's probably nothing. But that's when this unnatural fog seems to come in all of a sudden, out of nowhere, and in a short amount of time. Shortly after this fog rolls in, a mysterious green light is seen creeping up to the lighthouse makes its way inside, and suddenly the generator stops sending power to the light on top of the lighthouse, which is not a good thing No. when you've got this thick of a fog. So Ben goes down to check out the generator, which seems to be functioning. It's just not sending power up to the, the light on top. Suddenly all the lights start coming back on, and Reuben and Vince think it's working now, but... Ben does not come back up. He um, hears something crackling. Yes, that is a, a good term for it. He looks up and he's dead. About this time, the Doctor and Leela show up. Which, of course, is never good for them. Because when they show up right before uh, the <laughs> discovery of a body happens, they're always assumed to be at fault. Right. <laughs> they, they come up, introduce themselves... Vince is very kind and everything. Reuben at first thinks they must be spies, because what are they doing here? <laughs> and then when they say that they didn't see Ben, they go down and investigate and find his body. And now Reuben really doesn't trust the Doctor and Leela. No. Um, by the way, uh, going back somewhat, uh, when the Doctor and Leela land... Leela is in a very Victorian-looking dress. Yeah, I noticed uh, that. Be because the previous episode was the Talons of Wen Chang, which was basically the Doctor as Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> and uh, so it's the Doctor as Sherlock Holmes, and they're in Victorian England. And so in order for Leela to fit in, she had to wear that dress. <laughs> she did not like wearing that dress. No. You could tell. I mean, <laughs> she, <laughs> the first thing she wants to do is to get out of it. Yes. You know? Yes. Even to the point of almost undressing in front of one of the lighthouse keepers. Yeah. <laughs> Vince is very uncomfortable because he's like, oh, just give me a set of your clothes. That'll be fine. <laughs> well, these are men's clothes, miss. Right. And then he looks and she's already started taking her clothes off. And he's like, oh, dear. Right. You know? <laughs> she's, yeah, she, she's down to basically her petticoat uh, there in the crew room. And she's like, so? And he goes, I'll be right back. And, you know, averts his eyes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so she gets one of these big sweaters and a pair of pants. And uh, I do notice that she, she ties the belt, you know, higher up than right? a man would. And, you know, make, makes it a bit more feminine. But, you know, she, so it's already odd to have someone like Leela in this setting. Um, definitely for the people that live there. 
And so seeing her uh, in this outfit becomes an issue for some of the people that we're about to meet. <laughs> so what did you think of this whole setup here? <laughs> well, to me, I liked the pacing of it. I liked the fact that uh, it didn't give anything away at the beginning. Right. Uh, I love it when they, I love it when they tell a story where the audience gets to discover things at the same time that the doctor does. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it was very much done in the style of a, like a classic monster movie. Um, maybe something along the lines of, uh, like, say, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, something like that, you know, where you see the results of the creature, but you don't actually see the creature at the beginning, you know. Uh, and sort of like Jaws, you know. Jaws is really fam- you know, famous for that, you know. Right. You, you see the aftermath and you see you know the results of what happens but you don't see the shark until way later in the movie you know right uh, i love it when they tell those kinds of stories because it to me it makes it scarier not knowing what it is right than to have it put right in front of my face cuz my imagination can make things a lot scarier for me than like a, a gore fest or something you know um exactly uh, that's the reason why some of these newer movies don't really frighten me as much as they just kind of disgust me. Yeah. When they have to have something in this episode, when they have to have something involving the creature, it's always from the eyes of the creature. So we don't actually see what it is or what's going on exactly. We just see what it sees as it, you know, for example, sneaks into the uh, lighthouse or attacks Ben. Yeah. Um, We don't, we don't see it. See, that's used to good effect. Um, in a couple of other uh, horror movies that I've seen uh, in the past, one of which uh, is called Black Christmas, um, where through the entire movie, it's there's a it's a serial killer, uh, and it's actually the movie that inspired Halloween. But in this movie, you never ever one time see the killer's face. The closest you ever come to seeing the killer's face is seeing one eye peeking at you through the crack of the door, and that's it. And through the entire movie, you're seeing everything through the killer's eyes. So it's, it, yeah, this kind of storytelling to me is very, very, very effective when it comes to telling a creepy story. Mm-hmm. Definitely. The doctor and Leela, in spite of Ruben, do some investigating. Leela, <laughs> uh, while the doctor tries to get more information about, you know, some of the goings on, Leela goes out, you know, onto the rocks to explore. Here's the, you know, this curious electric crackling, and uh, notice is that there's a one of these tidal pools it seems to have been affected in some way because all the fish in it are dead. Yeah, that because yeah, that, that doesn't give you reason to worry at all, right? No, no, not in the slightest. <laughs> and the doctor believed that Ben's death was from electrocution, which obviously, of course, Ruben immediately blames on this the generator. No, and you wouldn't have had that happen with the oil. <laughs> um, <laughs> Back in my day, <laughs> right? <laughs> we didn't need them newfangled generators. Exactly. <laughs> well, before anything else can be done, though, while well, the light on the lighthouse keeps coming on and off, uh, you know, erratically, without any explanation at all, a ship is noticed closing in on the rocks. 
Uh, it's coming in at a very fast clip, and it's too late for it to avoid the rocks. Uh, while the foghorn is being sounded and the light comes on and there's flares going, the ship continues to come in and it slams into Fang Rock, crashing. Uh, of course, uh, the Doctor, Vince, and Reuben rush out to help any survivors while Leela is left to man the foghorn. She's not very happy about it at first. No. <laughs> she doesn't ever like being left behind, ever. <laughs> no. But what is funny is uh, she starts to be amused by the foghorn because she you know she pulls the the lever and this you know the horn sounds <laughs> and she starts you know messing with it making it you know rather than just one she goes <laughs> and she's finding herself very amused uh, so I thought that was a nice little touch uh, there are four survivors of this yacht's wreck the, the bosun Harker, Colonel James Skinsale, the owner of the yacht, Lord Palmerdale, who is an obnoxious sot. Uh, um, yeah. Just kill him with fire. <laughs> and, and his high-strung secretary, Adelaide. Oh, I was so happy when Leela slapped her. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these, these, these last two were a couple of characters that I was rooting to die. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> I know rooting for the Ruton to yeah, kill. I I'll be honest. I I I know that sounds ugly to say that, but you know, hey, they're fictional characters, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, and whatever. So <laughs> you know, it, it's like this was another uh, one of those things that you see in, in in a lot of horror movies as well. Is there'll be that one or two char- those one or two characters that you want to see them die. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> the audience is rooting for the creature or the monster or the serial killer or whatever to kill these characters because they are so awful. You know, <laughs> and that's the exact effect that these two characters had on me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's always that one movie that goes, we're going to give you these characters that you hate, but they're going to survive. Yeah, I know. Do the whole thing. <laughs> and you're like, why? Uh, and every once in a while, they'll try to redeem one of them or something, but, you know, it hardly ever yeah. works, you know. <laughs> um, it's like that businessman in the uh, David Tennant Christmas special where he's on the Titanic, oh, the, yeah. you know, the space yacht. <laughs> And he lives, yeah. and like almost everybody else dies, and you're like, <laughs> stab him in the neck with a spoon, right? Um, <laughs> oh, make it painful. Um, anyways, sorry. It, I have introduce feelings. him to Missy. You know, <laughs> oh, she can have fun with that. Got to, oh yes, <laughs> I would be more than happy to let her have it. Anyway. <laughs> Um, thankfully, we don't have to deal with them for the entire episode. <laughs> yeah, we just gave a spoiler. Uh, anyways, whatever. And this, uh, this, uh, you know, part two, the second episode has, has a lot to, you know, set up these new characters that have joined the group here in the lighthouse. Lord Palmerdale is, uh, desperate to reach London, uh, to make a killing on the stock exchange, uh, on some information that, uh, the colonel gave him, the colonel who is now an MP, gave him some political information that would be very beneficial to someone looking to uh, make some money, such as the, you know, dastardly Lord Palmerdale. 
And Lee Palmerdale is insisting that the bosun Harker get them back on the water to London again as soon as possible. Right. And Harker's like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the indication that I got is that he gave him this information in confidence, possibly, you know, telling him something personal, you know, and then yeah. he decided to use the, that personal information to better his own self at the expense of someone else. You know, uh, the, in, the, the implication I got was that Palmerdale had something on the colonel. Mm-hmm. And in order to even the score, so to speak, the colonel gave Palmerdale whatever this information was. And it's, we're not you know, very specific on what it is because Palmerdale doesn't want to talk about it because he doesn't want to get caught. And the colonel doesn't want to talk about it because he doesn't want to implicate anybody right. or himself. So, <laughs> um, And so basically the deal was the colonel gives Palmerdale whatever this information was in exchange for whatever uh, Palmerdale had on him um, is the implication that I got. So, okay. A little bit of political intrigue in our <laughs> gothic thriller. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, that's why the ship was going so fast in the horrible, horrible weather and why it could not change course in time to avoid Fang Rock. Of course, Palmerdale and Adelaide have no use for the Doctor or Leela. No. <laughs> Both of them find the pair of, you know, irritating at best. And Adelaide finds Leela appalling because of the way she's dressed and the way she acts. Yeah, it's positively uncivilized. Technically, that's true. Um, <laughs> Sometimes uncivilized people are better than the civilized people, if you want my opinion. Yes. <laughs> Harker appreciates, you know, what the doctor and Leela are doing and trying to keep everybody safe, trying to, you know, solve what's going on. And the colonel at this moment is just doesn't want to go back on the water. He's like, I don't care what happens, just leave me alone. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we'll wait for the weather to pass. <laughs> the doctor continues his investigations and uh, Leela, when she was out on the rocks earlier, thought she noticed a creature along the rocks. Reuben takes this to believe that the beast of Fang Rock is back. Whatever that is. Whatever it was, it came to Fang Rock 80 years ago Killed two of the lighthouse keepers and drove the third one back. Yeah, and they never give you any indication of what this thing was supposed to be. No, because no one here was alive during that one. It was 80 years ago. Ruben's old, but he's not quite that old. <laughs> the doctor thinks that the the fireball that fell from the sky was actually a spaceship landing. And it's hiding under the ocean. Created this fog as a smokescreen, basically. And... So this combined with some of the other factors, he believes that an alien, unfamiliar with humans, was attracted to the lighthouse's electricity. They're keeping themselves out of sight by creating the fog, and they're using the electricity for something, which is why the light is so intermittent. Right. And he believes that another attack is imminent. So, what are you thinking at this point? (laughs) Well, honestly, I still had my head wrapped around this being some type of a creature or monster uh, as opposed to something uh, like more of a sentient type being so for me i was still kind of holding out hope you know this obviously i'm talking about the first time i watched it you know Mm -hmm. um 
for me, I was still holding out hope that uh, that we would get to see some type of a monster, you know, as opposed to it being explained away. Oh, this is just another alien, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still, you know, I still kind of liked the mystery of not 100% knowing what it was until the very end, because we, yeah. st- we still didn't know exactly what we were dealing with. Right. You know, the doctor just knew that it was something extraterrestrial. Yeah. And we just kind of left it there. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is, you, you mentioned it earlier, the, the whole idea of not knowing really adds to the, the creep factor of this episode. And I wouldn't say it's a, it's an overly scary episode, but it isn't one of those, you know, unnerving kind of creepy episodes. And I think, you know, the word I used earlier really fits it well. It's very gothic. Right. Um, in tone, you know, very similar to what you would see in some of the horror hammer films that came out somewhat earlier than this the 50s and 60s, uh, that sort of thing. And some of the universal horror films that came out before that, it's very gothic. You're not going to get, you know, Freddy or Jason slashing a bunch of people in this. <laughs> um, it's a bit, bit different than that. So. The Doctor's unfortunate deduction of an imminent attack proves to be very prophetic. Reuben goes down to the generator room to stoke the boiler so that the foghorn... Uh, Pressure does not fall, and it can still be sounded. Um, while he's in the boiler room, Leela feels a, there, another cold wave, and the electricity fails again. Uh, while everyone is silent, trying to figure out what's going on, a horrible scream comes from the boiler room. And Leela and the doctor dash out of the crew quarters to head downstairs. And I actually really liked the way that episode ended. Because, you know, the power goes out, only the, you know, the oil lanterns are still providing any light. The, uh, everyone's looking around like, okay, what's going on? All of a sudden you hear the horrible scream and then Leela and the doctor immediately dash out the door. Right. And that's where, you know, and it ends. You know, I like <laughs> the way that one ended for whatever reason. It, I, I was like, oh, that's kind of clever. You know, it's in the middle of a scene rather than, oh my gosh, the monster! Or, yeah. oh my gosh, the Dalek has revealed itself! You know, the it's cliffhanger. Like, we must know, hurry! It was we a must different hurry. kind of cliffhanger. And wait till next week. You know, it was... It was. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, like so much in your face, you know, hey, we're giving you a cliffhanger. It was, and we have an action scene, and oops, there's no more story. You know? <laughs> <laughs> And you're kind of sitting right. there, you're like, what, 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 you know? <laughs> right. Because <laughs> this story kind of gets you on the edge of your seat. You, you're leaning in, trying right? to figure out what's going on, figure out how the doctor is going to solve the problem. Um, <laughs> and and you just sort of gradually leaning in closer and closer, you know, throughout the story. And then to have it just stop right there as they're dashing out to investigate it's like ah i need to know you know know, and you feel sorry for the people that had to wait a week or whatever to watch the next episode because they didn't get to binge it like we did you know (laughs) right (laughs) oh man the doctor and leela go investigate but they can't find reuben yeah at some point during the investigation Ben's body is rediscovered, and it is not in a pretty state, shall we say. No. Leela and Vince think that 
this monster has completely torn it up. The doctor, however, notices that it's more of an autopsy than indiscriminate shredding, which makes him very suspicious. And so they go outside to look for Reuben. They find Ben's body, and when they come back inside, Reuben's gone upstairs, and he's behaving very oddly. He's gone to his room. He's not really responding to anybody. Yeah. And he's got this really weird look on his face. Yeah, he's just kind of... Rather creepy. He, he almost comes off like he's in shock. Yeah. Pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sh- <laughs> while, while the doctor tries to digest this new information and figure out, you know, what is going on with this, the other characters start, you know, their own little stories, you know, try to move it on their <laughs> own little agendas. Palmerdale has headed up to the, the top of the lighthouse to talk to Vince and is bribing Vince to send a wire to London on the emergency channel, no less, <laughs> because that's all that they have. Right. Uh, to his stockbroker, basically. <laughs> he gives him 50 pounds and says there'll be 50 more when I get my money. <laughs> little does he know that the colonel is overhearing the conversation. <laughs> Vince takes the money. But then the doctor comes up to the lighthouse. I believe it's the doctor or Leela comes up to the lighthouse to inform Vince of Reuben, to which Palmerdale ducks out of sight outside on the railing outside of the, the lights room there. I forget what that's called. And unfortunately, oh, so unfortunately, <laughs> Palmerdale is killed by a glowing alien presence outside the lighthouse. Yay! Yay! <laughs> 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 oh man I don't like him I don't like him at all mm, I don't either <laughs> I don't either so wonderful <laughs> unfortunately for Palmerdale his body is basically dropped from the top of the lighthouse and is discovered outside he's discovered outside when Harker who has gone down to stoke the boiler to keep the foghorn running is killed by Reuben who's seems to be possessed by some alien light and when Reuben touches Harker it basically electrocutes him and he dies oh he was the one I liked (laughs) yeah (sighs) it kills indiscriminately it does it does Um, when Vince (laughs) when Vince hears of Palmerdale's death he takes the 50 pounds out and immediately burns it so that nobody knows what happened um I I should note (laughs) just burned up 50 pounds I think I would have kept the money. When <laughs> I might have. Um, when the doctor and Leela come in from investigating Palmerdale's body, they find Harker's body and Reuben's body. Yeah. Which is weird because he's gone back up to his room and is behaving very weirdly. Yeah. And the body that they find of Reuben is in rigor mortis, which means he's been dead for quite a while. Yeah, we got some body snatcher stuff going on here. Yeah. (laughs) And of course, this is after the doctor has ordered the lighthouse locked up and secured in order to keep the creature out. Yeah. In doing that, (laughs) he's locked the creature in. (laughs) So. I think I've made a horrible mistake. (laughs) Yes. Yes, indeed, Doctor. <laughs> oh, goodness. <sighs> now we get to the final episode of, of, of this story. Jason's favorite part. 
Mm. Yeah, we'll get to that here in a minute. Um, the creature, in the guise of Reuben, grinning in a very weird way, has gone up to the light and kills Vince. Which was very sad. Yeah, I, I didn't like that either. That wasn't cool. Yeah. Kill the annoying people. Don't kill the good people. Right. <laughs> Please. <laughs> At least one of them's already dead. Um, the doctor is, you know, very concerned about the situation because, you know, the, whatever this creature is has, you know, this chameleon factor, you know, lycanthropy and is able to basically take the shape of somebody, uh, in this case, Reuben. And, you know, he's trying to figure out, you know, what this means and what this creature is and how we can defeat it. And he's, as he's, you know, talking his way through this, he says, well, this is, you know, organic restructuring is elementary for the Time Lords. And Leela goes, oh, if this is a Time Lord, then we have no chance. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. It's elementary for us, but it takes, you know, it probably took this creature thousands of years to master whatever this. Leela goes, oh, then we have nothing to worry about because you're a Time Lord. You'll deal with this creature easily. Which seems to break the doctor out of his mopey mood and his, you know, navel gazing that's been going on. Um. <laughs> it's I find it interesting that uh, the Rutans, uh, maybe not to the same extent, but have a similar ability to the Zygons, and and don't they both come from more of an aquatic type planet? Um, I don't recall. I haven't done a study of the planets of the Zygons and the planets of the, I think, uh, Rutons. I think so. Probably. Well, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, you know, I, I think it's kind of funny though. One of them is basically modeled off of a starfish and the other one is basically modeled off of a, uh, jellyfish. You know? Yes. <laughs> to a certain extent, you know. That is, that is very <laughs> true. So, before they go back upstairs, the doctor discovers uh, a power relay that's been attached to the generator. It's being used to power a distress beacon. The doctor goes to look for the distress beacon and sends Leela to gather the rest of the survivors and bring them up to the lamp room because that's the best uh, defensible position. <laughs> what was really great is, you know, Leela bursts into the crew room, says, Harker is dead, the creature's inside, we must go and fight for our lives. And Adelaide thinks. <laughs> Much to the annoyance of Leela, who does a very teenage girl sort of thing and rolls her eyes in such a huge, irritated fashion. This this girl got on my nerves to the nth degree. Um, she really did. All of I the mean, squalling and screaming and crying and blubbering and... Uh, I mean, at, <laughs> at first, when they first came in, uh, you know, I was like, okay, this is somewhat understandable. She's just been rescued from the ocean. Uh, right. You know, she's not used to this sort of situation. Fine. It's a weird <laughs> thing for her, for her. But she kept going. And every right. little thing was a scream or a gasp or fainting. And by the end of it, <laughs> I was just like, please slap her, Leela. Um, and she stab her in the <laughs> eye with a pencil. You know? <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> you want to see a magic trick? <laughs> oh yeah! <laughs> oh. Introduce her to the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Colonel is able to revive Adelaide, but Adelaide doesn't want to go. And the only way that they actually get moving at all is because Reuben is in the doorway. 
And fortunately for us, uh, Ruben kills Adelaide, uh, letting Leela and the Colonel dash around him and go upstairs. I'm sorry, that's a horrible thing to say, but she was just so <laughs> on my nerves. She was past my last nerve by the time <laughs> she gets zapped by Ruben. Oh. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Um, Leela and the Colonel meet the doctor on the way up the stairs. The doctor's coming down to look for them. They're going upstairs uh, towards the light room because the doctor's found the uh, distress signal. I believe he's, you know, uh, taking care of that and uh, sends Leela and the colonel up to basically, you know, set up a trap and get ready for the creature. He then sits down on the steps and waits for Reuben to walk up. The doctor confronts Reuben and talks the creature into shedding its disguise. Be a lot more comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) And this big glowing light emanates from Ruben, and when it dissipates, there's this green, radioactive-looking jellyfish sitting on the stairs. This giant green, radioactive jellyfish sitting on the stairs. The design of this thing doesn't bother me. It's the way it moves up and down the stairs that just right. irritates the snot out of me. Right. Because... Well, it's funny that you say snot. <laughs> it does look like a big ball of snot because at times. that's kind of how it moves. <laughs> oh. This is my big issue with the episode, is the way that this thing moves up and down the stairs. Um, if it's sort of hovered, right. that would be a lot better. But it's sort of, you know, this big blob kind of, you know, moves itself up the stairs one at a time you, or down the stairs, depending on what's happening. And it's, it just, it basically looks like the guy inside the giant trash bag with the green glowy lights is trying very hard not to look like he's crawling up and down the stairs. Well, now, I, in my opinion, if they were going to do this today um, on New Who, uh, I think that they would probably either have it hover or I think that they would have it uh, move in such a way so that it was using its tentacles to move itself around, you know, reach out and grab different things and, and, and keep itself elevated off the ground using its tentacles, you know. Right. Um, and, which, in my opinion, could come off as very creepy if it was done well. Right. You know, uh, because those things just reaching out there like whips and just snapping and grabbing and pulling it, you know, further and further, faster and faster, you know. Uh, it would have given you an instant reason to run. But with this thing just looking like it was just barely moving one step at a time, you got this feeling of there's not really a sense of urgency because we can always run away, you know. Right. The doctor has a conversation with Ruben the Rutan, as he calls him. Uh, he's a Rutan scout, and uh, the doctor goes, Ah, you must be losing your never-ending war with the Santarans. No, it's a series of strategic withdrawals. Ah, <laughs> uh, of course. You know. But why Earth? Well, it has a sound strategic position to launch a counterattack. Well, the Santarans will use a photonic bombardment just to dislodge the Rutan presence here on Earth, which will kill many people. So? And... <laughs> The doctor deduces that the uh, distress signal is more of a homing device and says, Oh, you've got a mothership on its way here, don't you? Yeah. That is unimportant. Yeah. <laughs> and even though the doctor has disabled the uh, the transmitters, Vruton says, Well, it was transmitting long enough. 
he then runs up the stairs. Leela and the colonel have been breaking open the what he calls the maroons, which are the flares. Uh, and they're spreading the powder down the stairs. Um, and this is how they're going to defend themselves against the Rutan. Uh, the doctor rushes in with the Rutan hot on his tail. They use the powder and a fuse to light the powder into a small little explosion, more of a flash, uh, and hurt the Rutan scout who retreats back down the stairs. The doctor says that, well, since Ruta 3, which is where the homeworld is, is a, a very icy planet, heat is extremely painful to the Rutans. The colonel has a mortar that they brought up from below, uh, which will su- serve very well in defending against the Rutan. The doctor has them start, you know, emptying their pockets to create some shrapnel in this mortar, uh, and they're basically rigging a mini grenade. Uh, to take care of this Rutan while the mothership is on its way. <laughs> are we going to deal with this mothership? Well, Leela says that the doctor should change the lighthouse into a laser, which is a great idea, but he needs basically a diamond to focus it. The colonel says that Palmerdale always carried diamonds. The doctor goes, great. Uh, Leela continues to set up the flare uh, grenade while the doctor and the colonel make their way downstairs to get Palmerdale's diamonds out of his pockets, which are actually in a hidden pouch on his uh, cummerbund or whatever that is. <laughs> cummerbund. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the doctor selects one, drops the rest of them, because, you know, who needs diamonds apparently? Right. <laughs> and starts running back up the stairs. The colonel tries to collect the other diamonds and doesn't see the Rutan coming back up the stairs in time. Yeah, he, he, he doesn't yeah, he doesn't last long. <laughs> so, the doctor turns around to see one of the tentacles of this Rutan snap up, wrap around uh, the colonel's neck, and shock him to death. See, that's what I was talking about. See, you know, that tentacle just, you know, whipped around his neck like a like a whip, you know. Uh-huh. And you know, if, if you had been able to see that, that action of those tentacles just reaching out, lashing out there, and just grabbing onto things and pulling that thing forward keeping it off the floor yeah. and it just kept getting faster and faster yeah. and faster while they're trying to run away from it. I mean, you could just imagine how much more terrifying that would be. That would be, would be kind of creepy. Definitely uh, up the danger factor. <laughs> yeah. As the doctor makes it back up to the top of the lighthouse, Leela launches the mortar grenade thingy, uh, getting scoring a direct hit on the Rutan who basically bubbles back down the stairs dying and Leela gloating her victory declaring her victory over this alien creature see I didn't mind the way that it moved while it was dying I thought that was fitting right you know right it basically uh, slid <laughs> slid right down the stairs um, that was it fine because you know just it was... the ascension of the stairs that I had a problem with and you know Thankfully, there were very few shots, you know, looking at this thing head on. It, it looked like a, you know, inflated trash bag, you know, clear trash bag, been stuffed with a bunch of stuff uh, and some green lights inside, uh, which is probably what it was, which, you know, fine, BBC never had the money to make a lot of these things that they wanted to make. But it just, it didn't look good, and especially the movement of it really accentuated the fact that this was something that wasn't quite what they wanted it to be. 
The movement of it is what I had the biggest issue with. I could get past the appearance of it more so than than I could the movement of it, you know. The Doctor is able to convert the lighthouse into a high-energy laser using the diamond um, as the mothership is approaching. Uh, the Doctor warns Leela that once he turns it on, uh, they can't look back at it, and they will have, at a rough guesstimation, he says, 117 seconds to get out of the lighthouse. That's um, kind of precise. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> They dash down the stairs, run for cover. The laser destroys the Rutan mothership, of course. Uh, and as the doctor is hiding behind a outcropping of rock, Leela peeks over the outcropping to see what is happening. And, you know, the laser fire is destroying the mothership. Right. And is blinded by the flash. And this was a really interesting character moment for Leela. Because yeah. she believes that she has been blinded permanently. She hands her knife over to the doctor. Yeah, she asks the doctor to take to take her life. Right. And he goes, why? Well, amongst the Seventeen, the warriors of the Seventeen, blindness <laughs> is the fate of the old and crippled. And she is no longer effective as a warrior, therefore she must, you know, die, apparently. <laughs> what did you think about this? Like I said, the She's definitely got the dogma, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, some of the, the things I've seen, the documentaries and things that I've seen about cults and stuff. Because, you know, you you get to the point where someone is programmed to believe this way or, you know, to not deviate from this and they've been programmed this way their entire life you know to them that's normal but to everybody else that's not normal it's you know why would you want to take your own life just because you lost your eyesight you know yeah um i mean to me i i just have trouble wrapping my brain around that you know uh to me it reminds me of i believe the term is harikari uh which is a ritual form of suicide in uh, medieval Japanese culture. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was performed primarily by samurai who had failed in their duties, if I recall correctly. You know, either failed or were too injured to continue on, and rather than be killed by an enemy, they would do this ritual suicide, or if they had failed, rather than suffer the shame of that failure uh, and the dishonor of that failure, they would do this ritual suicide. Which is, uh, I don't understand it, but that's something that they would do. Um, well, it's sort of like falling and, on your own sword, you know. Um, right. Because you've got, you know, so much pride that you don't want to let your enemy take your life. You're going to fall on your own sword. Well, you know, as long as you're alive, you have the opportunity to not lose. But if you take your own life... You know, you forfeit any opportunity that you have not to lose that battle. You know, I, that I don't get that. I really, I don't get that choice, you know. Thankfully, the blindness is only temporary. And the doctor, you know, while he takes the knife, uh, he laughs and says, don't worry about it. It's only temporary. Blink. And she starts to blink and her sight begins to come back. He then notices something. Oh. The flash has caused pigmentation dispersal in Leela's eyes. What? They've changed color. You know, they're now blue. 
Um, and uh, the two of them head back towards the TARDIS uh, with the Doctor quoting a poem called, I believe, uh, Flannan Isle as they leave Fang Rock. Though we hunted high and low and hunted everywhere, of the three men's fate we found no trace of any kind in any place, but a door ajar and an untouched meal and over-toppled chair. And that's about how far the Doctor got before the TARDIS pulled away. Um, which, of course, is uh, rather fitting for what has just happened there in the lighthouse. Whoever comes to check on these people, not going to find any explainable reason as to why everyone else in the lighthouse is dead. Yeah. The Think about the body count in this. The Doctor and Leela are the only survivors. Right. Period. Period. Yeah. Uh, Ruben, Vince, and Ben, the lighthouse keepers, are all dead. Uh, and then the crew of the crash ship, Lord Palmadale, the Colonel, Adelaide, and Harker are all dead. Nobody emerged from this except Leela and the Doctor. You, you know, and a... and so <laughs> you kind of get the the point uh, when Christopher Eccleston's Doctor <laughs> tells Rose just this once everybody lived. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> because how often did this happen? You know? Quite a bit. Yeah. Quite a bit. I mean, there were usually a couple of survivors, maybe, but, you know, there's been several times where there were no survivors at all. Yeah, right. And this was one of those times. There's literally nobody that lived except for the Doctor and his companion. And when you think about that, think about how dark that actually is, you know. Yeah, and um, the weird yeah. thing is, the weird thing is Leela and the Doctor are kind of treating this as a victory. Yeah. Um, you know, hey, we won. We stopped the Rutans. Yay, us. Um, yeah. You know, I think a little bit of Leela's personality is running, rubbing off on the Doctor there. But, <laughs> you know, if this were if this were a later season, it wouldn't have been so cheerful at the end. <laughs> I, I don't think so, no. Yeah, I, I just... It didn't even strike me the first time I watched this that they were the only two survivors. It didn't hit me until the second time I watched it. Um, I was like... Oh my gosh, there's literally nobody that lived through this except for the two of them. And they're just going to hop back on the TARDIS and leave and leave all these dead bodies and carnage and, you know, for somebody else to find, you know. Uh, right. Just thinking about that, you know, it blows my mind a little bit, you know. Yeah. It is It is a little odd, but it definitely fits the, the tone of the episode and sort of the, the gothic thing. Uh, the gothic element. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So, it's just very, very odd. Final thoughts and ratings on this episode. I didn't have as much of an issue with the Rutan the second time I watched it as I did the first time I watched it. The first time I watched it, I was literally like, are you kidding me? Really? <laughs> you know, and, and it was more, like you said, the movement than it was the actual appearance of it because it was at least somewhat realistic looking in its appearance, but the way that it moved took away from the appearance of it completely. It made it look fake because of the way it moved. You know? It really did. And so for me, I was looking at that and thinking, you know, if that thing moved in a truly biological fashion as the way a, a real life organism would move, the appearance of it would look, more than more than enough realistic for me 
to have passed, you know. Uh, it was just, it, it took me completely out of it when it was going up those steps and stuff, you know, because I'm looking at it and I'm thinking about that scene in Austin Powers when the guy is, uh, you know, screaming because he's going to get run over by the steamroller, but the steamroller is like all completely on the other side of the room and it's moving at like three miles an hour. So he could have gotten away at any point, but he lays there and screams until it runs over him, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, to me that it came off as comical because, you know, I was looking at that and I was going, all you have to do is run away from this thing, you know, and I know that the doctor had taken rope and everything with him. So they could have tied it off to the, the rail at the top and gone down the side if they had to, you know, and this thing couldn't have gotten to them because of the way that it was moving. You know, I don't know that that part of it just bugged me. That's the reason why I say that this could benefit from a special edition the story i thought was absolutely great uh right the 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 uh execution up to the the rutan in the last episode i thought was great because the the pacing was good you know the acting was good the tone and everything you know all of that was good it was just that one thing about the movement of that rutan that took me out of the story. And that was what took the creepiness out of it for me. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to echo a lot of the things you said. It, it, the story is actually very, very good. Uh, the interaction between the doctor and Leela is great. Uh, and the way that they respond and react to all the other characters is really good too. And the, the menace of the rutan leading up to its, you know, first real appearance there on the stairwell uh, where it talks with the doctor is done very, very well. Uh, the, the, the creepy factor, the factor that we don't really understand what it is and how it's operating is done supremely well. But that's my big sticking point is that, you know, the way that the design was done for the Rutan did not lend it very well for them moving it around the set in a way that was believable. And so that takes away a little bit from the story, not much because the rest of it is so strong, but it's the one thing that when I think about this episode is just that sticking point in the back of my head. It's really great. It's really good. It's, I would recommend the story, but you know, there's always that, but uh, that I would have in the back of my head. So Paul, how many glowing green jellyfish would you give this storyline? Um, if it was, if the Rutan was executed a little bit better, I would have given it a, a higher rating, but I'm not going to be able to go any higher than I'm going to say seven and a half. Um, okay. Just because of the Rutan, you know. Mm-hmm. So... Um. And with as much of a stink I've put up about this Rutan, I think the rest of the story is so strong. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give this an eight. Okay. So uh, I really enjoy it. I think the story is very strong and the feel and the tone of the story that they were going for uh, works well, very well. Tom Baker um, alone elevates so, it to a whole nother level. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it, it this is one of Leela's better episodes, I think, as well. So, 
there's there's sometimes where I don't think she's handled quite as good as you know she could have been. Uh, but this was definitely one of her better appearances, I think. So I think that wraps up our review here, Paul. <laughs> We've got a bit of an announcement to make. Just, to just a wee little next. tiny itty bitty little announcement. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> um, and uh, why don't why don't you dig this knife out of my heart? Really? <laughs> <laughs> no. <I'm just> <laughs> we had uh, you know, everybody's doing. Uh, we had everybody doing this survey to, you know, in addition to a couple of other things, determine where we are going to go next in our. Uh, villain story reviews. We did the Daleks already, and we wanted to know whether you not you wanted us to do the Master or the Cybermen. Yes. Obviously, as we've seen it several times on the show, <laughs> I wanted the Cybermen, Paul wanted the Master. Yes. And what are we doing, Paul? The Master. <laughs> I'm, I'm usually referred to as the Master. The, really. Universal. Yeah. Oh, man. Don't get me wrong, I'm a big fan of the Master, but I was hoping for Cyberman. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yes, we're going to do the Master next. Um, and before we get to the Master proper, uh, because we did want to get the first and second Doctors in on this, you know, this time around as well, uh, we decided we were going to go ahead and include the first Doctor story, The Time Meddler, and the second Doctor story, The War Games, in this round of story reviews uh, because the characters in those are very similar to the master and before some of the books and stuff came out were probably supposed to be uh, who the master eventually became. I saw somewhere um, online where it specifically said that that was the original intention was to have that character carry over into different car different incarnations once they started doing the regeneration stories. Um, and that was supposed to be, you know, a different incarnation of the master, uh, for the second doctor. And then the third doctor had an, a, a third incarnation of the master, uh, where he officially took on the name of the master. Um, but when they came out with, uh, the expanded material, I'm about a hundred percent sure almost that it, it was in the actual game, uh, that came out, um, uh, where they specifically said that it was different characters in that. Um, and honestly, I think that was probably done to give it more uh, uh, of a non-player-based uh, character roster, uh, more so than anything okay. else. Personally, I think it would have been really cool to have seen that transition into the Master. Um, I think that would have been really, really neat to have to had that. Uh, transition uh, but alas that was made non-canon so yeah but we're deciding to include uh, the monk and the war master in this just so that we can get a little bit more of a dastardly time lord um, opponent for the doctor in our, our story reviews here so uh, next episode um, unless I get some special stuff from uh, Phoenix Comic Con Fan Fest, which doesn't look like it'll happen because Arthur Darvel canceled his appearance. <laughs> yeah. I'm sad. Um, but <laughs> if there's something else going on, I might grab some audio and we'll do a special episode from that. Uh, 
But if I don't get any of that from Phoenix Comic Con Fan Fest, then our next episode will be The Time Meddler. So uh, look forward to that as we start our master story reviews. Coming soon to a podcast near you. (laughs) (laughs) You may call me the master. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, And just to give people an idea, roughly of of how the vote went, it was roughly two-thirds of the vote went for the master and one-third went for the Cybermen. So a little disappointed it wasn't closer. Uh, well, it was kind of interesting. At least it wasn't a blowout. It's kind of interesting because it started out with the Cybermen going strong at the beginning, uh, beating out the Master, and then for some reason there was just this s- tidal wave of votes that came in for the Master kind of all at once, and then uh, it was very one-sided after that. That made me sad. <laughs> well, I mean, I wanted right. the Master to be the, the winner, but I would have been happy with either choice, so, you know. I know, I know. I'm joking here. But so that's a look at what's coming up next here on Talking Time Lords. And if you want to weigh in on uh, this episode or our master story reviews that are upcoming or anything else, uh, you can go ahead and do that on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Talking Time Lords. You can always tweet us at, at Talking Time Lord or email us at TalkingTimeLords at gmail.com. Our TARDIS on the internet is our website, which is TalkingTimeLords.com, where you can find links to each and every one of our previously released episodes. You can no longer find the survey link. It should be (laughs) down already from our previously released episode. But you should check the website, because in place of the survey link, we've got another link, Paul. Yes, we do. We now have... Uh, our official store and in that store yes. in that store we now have our very first item for sale which is going to be uh, a design called um, Gallifrey and uh, it's going to be the first of we hope multiple designs we don't know yet how that's going to work it's going to depend on whether or not there's a demand for it so uh, mm-hmm. Go take a look at it. You know, you can get you some Talking Time Lords merchandise. You can get phone cases. You can get mugs. You can get hoodies, T-shirts, anything basically that's offered with that design on it that has the Talking Time Lords Gallifrey symbol on it. Yes. And that for those of you who, you know, go and take a look at it, it basically what it is, it's Talking Time Lords in Gallifreyan. So, yes. Uh, I've never learned. I've never learned to read Gallifrey, and so I'm taking, <laughs> you know, their their word with this. But, um, <laughs> but yes, check that out, folks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, every little bit uh, that you can uh, to show your fandom, right? Exactly. All right. Is there anything else, Paul? I'm tired, and my throat hurts. <laughs> That's the reason I've been a little bit more quiet towards the end of the episode was because my throat got really dry and uh, kind of trying to keep my voice here. So there you go. Well, that will wrap up this episode then of Talking Time Lords. This has been episode number 53, Horror of Fang Rock Story Review. For Paul, I'm Jason. And remember, until next time, may you hope far flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. Thanks, guys. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. 
Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts. Or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows. Snap, crackle, pop, green, rutons. <laughs> <laughs>